Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fear. If you're familiar with the parlor game Exquisite Corpse, you already have a good idea of what our next show is about. It's a surprising exercise in round-robin creativity, made popular during the surrealism movement in the early 20th century. Inspired by that game, the show you're about to hear began in writing by 10 amazing writers, beginning with a prompt from the horror experts at Dread Central. With only a few days left until the big gallery opening, you're struggling to finish your final pieces. However, it's not lack of inspiration, but rather dwindling supplies that's holding you back. The problem is that your art uses rather unorthodox materials. The first writer interprets the prompt their own way, then each subsequent writer picks up the story where the previous writer left it, adding their own nightmarish short installment and passing it on to the next unlucky participant to create a twisty, turny, occasionally peculiar, always terrifying ride. I remember playing this as a kid, and the stories would just get weirder and weirder as each person added to the story. Just imagine the possibilities. Please enjoy Realm's own take on Exquisite Corpse, narrated by XC Sands, and written by Cassandra Kaw, Paul Cornell, Brian Keane, the Sisters of Slaughter, Paul Tremblay, Richard Chismar, Christopher Golden, Stephen Kozniewski, Nick Mamatas, and Alyssa Wong. Follow along as these masters of horror delve into the darkest corners of their imaginations and either set their fellow players up for success or back them into narrative traps and laugh maniacally as they try to escape. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it with friends. And did you know you can listen ad-free by joining Realm Unlimited or Realm Plus on Apple Podcasts? Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Pun Bandu, and this is Exquisite Corpse. He is dying. He has been dying for six months now. The aurispices of modern medicine prophesied three possible deaths. Cardiovascular complications, liver failure, neuronal autophagy. In the end, as is so often the case these days, it was cancer. A harvest of tumors taking root in his lungs. He'd never smoked, but according to his doctors, it didn't matter. They predicated an explanation on the fact that he was cosmopolitan. Cities, side of black woman and white, are carcinogenic, slow-acting vectors of disease. The decades he'd spent sipping carbon monoxide from the air, chasing it with tap water, bromo, dichloromethane, chromium, and chloroform, these all counted. Death by urban living was absolutely a thing. Noonlight cuts through the hospital window, honeyed by the tinted glass. On a power line outside, a parliament of pigeons holds court while sparrows bear witness. They watch them for a while. 
In half an hour, he'd retweet himself to the ghost town of Twitter. Thank God for backward compatibility. Thank God for the sentimental. And for nostalgic millennials. The ones who built their platforms on the rotting ribs of the original. Without them, he'd be alone. Virtualization technology lended an intimacy once lacking in yesterday's social media. He'd been an early adopter for that reason. Work had squeezed his middle age of all its best hours, and it was always easier to choose the worship of the flat-screen TV. Always easier to self-anesthetize than to self-improve. To stay home than to go out to speak up. There was always some day. One day, the next day. Until there weren't any left. But the digitization of three-dimensional company helped. He rotates through a palette of suits, oxblood and maroon, navy and silver, every last one of them perfectly matched to jocular socks and silk ties. His son spared no expense. It has been years since he last took pleasure in his reflection, but that didn't matter, and not when he could tease each filament of hair into place, adjust the shine of his scalp, even control the consistency of his five o'clock shadow. Today, he'd wear black. Black, with full brogue Oxford dress shoes the color of bronzed sandalwood. And a wine-dark tie, striped with gold. Black, so deep, so rootless, it knows no ancestry with light. A chthonic velvet, relieved only by the accents he'd elected. The program he'd subscribed to was decadent. It wasn't just visuals that they provided. Audio, olfactory feedback, tactile, sensation, taste. All of it came parceled with the monthly package. All for less money than he'd expected. More than he should have spent. If he'd not been so keen to indulge his vanity, perhaps they would have unearthed his cancer sooner. No point in wallowing, however. He takes a screenshot, uploads the image via a third-party service, which then broadcasts it in triplicate. Neural networks sanding down the imperfections. The gallery opening is in three days. His last, crowed the myriad PR companies, hoping to wring that last vestige of relevance from the dregs of his name. And it worked. For the first time in years, they came, runneling through decayed RSS feeds, a few faithfuls at first, old friends, old acquaintances, colleagues still tethered by some whimper of loyalty. Although, if he could still stomach honesty, he'd admit it was more likely pity that drove them to the newsletters. But, as marketing was so fond of saying, all press is good press, no matter how it debases the subject. So, he played the decrepit fool for them, jingling anachronisms, callbacks to what once was, what could have been. The glory days of their city and its hosannas of fame and fortune. Like a lapsed Catholic, come full circle, he goes down on his knees, prays to the two-for-one gods of sympathy and scandal, puts his life on their altar, stacks it high with promises. Remember that rumor you heard? Remember the gossip? That piece of hearsay? Remember? Remember? As with such things, curiosity swelled, became turgid with voyeuristic intent. The trickle evolved into a flood. The tabloids came, and he hand-fed them stories of everything he'd done. But now, he said to a crowd starved for secrets, 
It doesn't matter. Now it's the end. Now everything comes full circle and justice will be done. First, you have to come to the show. He fumbles for his remote control, the black plastic pleasingly rounded. Another callback, another nod to what once was. His fingers trace the stubbling of buttons worn down by frequent use. He chooses one. He presses down. The walls that bracket his cot bleed to translucence, glass panes mottled with pixels of light. At his attention, they cohere, coming together into lean, long shapes, a mural of the past, as told with state-of-the-art calligraphy. He browses the bodies. Every last one of them hangs suspended in time, still beautiful, still with the blush of hope along their brow bones, the bend of their mouths. He stares at them, willing them to move, to speak, to worship again at the lap of his conversation. Still, however, they remain lips half-parted, as though words of love were purling on their tongues. A tremble of his fingers. They pirouette along the walls, luminous, no more substantial than ghosts, but somehow they feel more real to him than the creped waddle that dips from his chin, the softness of his aging flesh. The diorama continues to alter, progressing between preset sequences until at last he says stop they do not they stopped listening six weeks ago they turn instead to face him their shining faces aligned by emotion so pure so exquisitely youth that it parches his thoughts of anything but envy even their real world counterparts the women he'd mapped them on have moved on have aged into power and steelwork smiles. But these girls? No. They're nothing but young, surreal in their glory. Nothing but mannequins, he decides, cuckoos amalgamated from his failing memory. Nothing but images. Nothing to fear. Nothing but furies. Awaiting the moment they might render judgment. The last thought, he soon realizes with a frisson of ice, is not his. He stares. They regard him in return, their gazes thick-lashed and still barren of feeling. And slowly, they begin to shamble toward him, arms hanging slack at their sides. Stay away. Still, they come. Stay away. They raise their hands to palm the glass, press their faces to the divide between screen and physicality. And they moan, then. Their voices rippling from the speakers, filling the room, filling the world, until his mind buckles from the percussions. Stop, he begs. They do not. Stop. He shudders his face with his fingers, thumbs closed over his ears. The sound does not, will not, recede. If anything, it grows, tendrilling into a concussive shriek, all the rage of decades past condensed into a noise that nothing will quiet again. Please, please stop. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. 
As he whispers the words, he recognizes the lie. Tart and familiar. He will do anything, but only for his convenience. As he always had, as he always will. That these specters exist is incidental to the situation, tangential to his life. It is his comfort that he champions, not the assuaging of whatever force that powers this haunting. But as long as he doesn't tell them, distracts the narrative far enough from what's meaningful, it'll be all right. He has done this before. He has made their agony into art before. He can do this again. He stares at his ghosts. He can. But first, he needs something of the women from whom he'd caffed these apparitions. Though nothing provides evidence of this truth, he understands this intrinsically, comprehends the necessity the way his subconscious divines the importance of breathing, of pumping blood through a failing heart, of persevering through the arthritic ruminations the fog wefted through his linguistic potential. Once, he prided himself on the silver of his dexterous tongue, better even than the gleam in his hair, the flash of light on teeth, still straight and whole. Once, but not anymore. But it is not too late. He can still do this. He can, surely. Unimpressed, his ghosts renew their cantatas of fury. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You're dying really well, said Annie. It was three days later, and she was sitting across the table from him at Mandarin. 
Annie had avoided all cosmetic restructuring, knowing that her appeal came from nature, from how she'd managed incredibly to keep looking innocent and pleasantly surprised. Thanks, he said, kind of meaning it. It's important to me. That's why I ordered the oatmeal. I wouldn't want to vomit up anything more complicated and spoil the effect. And you're continuing your memoirs while you do it. You really are dedicated to your art. My art has become my life, and vice versa. Are you sure they're not just imitating each other? My death is a subject of great viewer interest. And, as always with my memoirs, the viewer wants a specific index of biological detail, but not the whole picture. As with all your art, exactly. They want to see my emotional reactions, the details of my expression. They want a precise quantity of physical reality. I will decide where the line is, and it will be out. And you're asserting that you're still a creative force, raging against the dying of the light and all that business. You're saying you're still potent in some ways. I am not actually still potent. I'm sorry to hear that. They had been in one scene together, early in their careers, when he could afford only one performer and one volunteer for sacrifice. The third party had been a young man in much the same situation as he was now, a fan of the movement he'd then been an Erevist within. He still thought about Annie so fondly as a result, though he'd since recorded her and himself with many other victims. Thank you for that. I'm glad you sought me out, because I was going to get in touch. I don't just want to say hello. I need your help. She laughed, though the muscles of her face remained sad. Well, you know, you can ask me to do anything. Yes, he could ask her. It took several days for her to reply to his request to agree. The reply came as an image in the air of her biting her lip uncertainly, an expression right out of one of their works. She would have chosen it carefully. Her voice sang from it, formally consenting, in the same language she'd used for their professional relationship. He'd always found that consent extremely arousing, as had often her victims. He could only feel that intellectually now. He pocketed the consent. He had a day before she arrived, a day to prepare. He went back to the room where he was keeping the Furies. They still whirled and slammed and roared. An emergent product of his art. He should feel proud. There was Annie among them, wearing her most affronted expression, as she had when she had walked into the scene with her second victim, an old man who wanted a lot of shouting. What did the Furies want? Did they want anything? What were they about or for? Had he just accidentally made something great and perhaps should just stand back and gesture at it? Everyone, I present all the subjects of my work. Yes, they're angry now. That says something, doesn't it? Yes, it says what I meant it to say. Except it didn't. It couldn't be art if it was an accident. He wasn't in control. It was a bit late for him to have developed a fatal flaw. Was he meant to be learning something? A pit late for that, too. 
And God indicated there was some higher power to teach him, other than the established gods, created by the graphics boards and strictly limited in their powers and dominions. This was not allowed within their laws. He had not allowed this into his life. He had not signed up for any of the religions. He moved closer and didn't flinch when they looked at him again. They were all angry with him, but that wasn't nudging his conscience. Was it meant to? His art had been entirely consensual, though it sometimes rehearsed the opposite. That was the whole point. That was what he liked. If someone had sent him this as a message, they didn't understand him at all. This was meant to be his moment. Damn it. This was his death. And he wasn't going to be upstaged by the Valkyries sent to get him, if that was what they were. Every time he got near them, such thoughts got transmitted into his head. There must be a small electromagnetic transmitter as part of the decals on these things. The shape waving at his brain and making words appear in his speech centers. Mere god stuff again, but it still... It held the power of the supernatural. What those words said, what they might say, now that did make him flinch. He made himself listen to the voices as well as look. He felt only a slight anger, not toward his subjects, whatever or whoever they were, but toward whomever or whatever had sent them. He should prepare. He called his barber. Even with his failing strength, perhaps he could have shaved his own head, but it was part of the good death he was preparing that he should do everything with style. And it also satisfied the part of his agenda that included taking care of himself. That part of his agenda was about to be thrown out of the window, of course. He stood in front of his bathroom mirror and ran his hand back over his smooth head. What wonderful lumps and curves were revealed. There was a whole biological art here he would never explore. He had never hacked into a scalp. He smiled at that. He'd found a little bit of mental judo months ago that allowed himself to be pleased rather than agonized when he encountered something he would never do. He now regarded it as something ticked off a list. Ah, there's something else I will never do. Tick. Talking with Annie had been like that. In most ways, she had now earned that tick. But they had a last scene planned. He was glad she had agreed to it. He prepared with a good meal, also, and some good wine. Then he went to bed and slept like someone who was going to live forever. Annie arrived the next morning. She had a look on her face that said she was holding back sorrow, as if she were already at his funeral. You should have worn black, he said. I don't like what you've done to your hair. I said goodbye to it. I like it. This thing you want me to do, you know what it takes to step inside an image when there are brain connections. I've only seen it done successfully once, when you walked into that maelstrom when you wanted Natasha Ward to be slaughtered by the elements and the lightning interfered with the pattern. And I think you survived by sheer luck. Probably. <laughs> Let's hope it still holds, huh? So, um, which one of us goes and joins the... She listened for a moment. Angels? She wandered over to the image and put a finger up to it. Do you want me to try to kill one of them? No, I'm going to go in. 
Hence the shaved head. I guessed, but I had some hopes that you'd see me considering the scene here and have second thoughts. How are you going to do this? And what part do you want me to play? This time, you get to direct. He told her the conclusions that had brought him to this point. She understood immediately. The image had arrived like a delivered scene, therefore it must share a certain amount of connection dynamics. The transmitter was the big giveaway. How many times had he set up an emotional expression from one of his subjects that turned into their voice inside the observer's head, whispering to them more intimately than sound could? She was familiar with the workings of his recording devices. In the years since they'd parted ways, she'd directed a number of her own scenes. He let her place the sensors around the image. When she gave the sign that she was ready, he began to get undressed. He did it without ceremony. He had nothing impressive to show her. She watched with interest. He was pleased, once again, that his death was arousing that interest, like nothing else he'd done in the last decade. A good reason to stay in the city, a death like this. If you died in the country, who would notice? When he was naked, he flopped his flaccid cock and balls from side to side to make her laugh. She sighed instead. Can't I help? Not even you can bring the dead back to life. You don't just want me to keep an eye on the signs be ready to rescue you, do you? You want me to record this for posterity? Absolutely. My death is getting better all the time. And if someone sent these to undercut it, well, here I am, stealing the spotlight back again. I'll try and get your best side. He laughed. It was something he'd often said to her, only he'd meant it. He took a deep breath and approached the image, arms held wide. Never been a father, but fatherly here was a nicely taboo message to begin with. Where would the image take that? He stepped into it, and as always with images, was startled that what he could feel was under his skin, not on it, until the image adjusted itself. And then he was surrounded by appalled, roaring, furious people the silk of their claws whipping past him, a nanometer from cutting his flesh. Were they going to harm him? Kill him, even? That was fine by him. He'd go out as the star of his own picture. But no, they were frustrated in their anger. He had indeed gotten one up on them. But now he needed to know more to connect. This was what you were not allowed to do, but people often did. He heard about them the next day. He bent, and wincing, ran his sharpened fingernail along his wrist. You're listening to Fear, Exquisite Corpse. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. 
on a remote island in Lake Superior. A team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Exquisite Corpse is written by Richard Chismar, Paul Cornell, Christopher Golden, Brian Keane, Cassandra Kaw, Stephen Kozanuski, Nick Mamatis, Sisters of Slaughter, Paul Tremblay, and Alyssa Wong. Performed by XE Sands. Produced by Lydia Shama. Executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith. Original music by Amanda Rose Smith. Fear is produced by Mary Osadolihi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Osadolihi. Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.